you know a lot about golf. Well, we're waiting. Uh, it is time for us, we being those weekend golf guys. I am John Ashton in the studio. Jeff Smith, a little bit delayed out at the Lesson Tee at Eagle Springs Golf Club in um, Walcott, Colorado, in the Vail Valley. We have a guest with us, however, and we're just going to jump right in. Our guest, Bern Bernacki. Doctor, you still go by doctor or just good old Bern these days, man? I'm working my way out of uh, medical practice and more time on the golf course, my friend. Amen. That is for what we all strive. Notice I didn't end that sentence with a preposition because as my father taught me, that is something up with which he would not put. So we uh, we do it that way. But uh, Bern is uh, the, the head honcho of the uh, Golf Heritage Society, which is making an appearance twice in the next couple of months in the Louisville, Kentucky area. So if this is where I am located, and if you are anywhere within the sound of, you know, if I were to go out my back door and shout, you will want to uh, come check out Burns' organization. Uh, first off, Burn, a little a little history. What what's going on with the uh, Golf Heritage Society, and what what caused it to come into being? Well, first of all, John, thank you so much for having me back. I always enjoy being with you and your audience. Um, yeah, the Golf Heritage Society is celebrating its 53rd year of existence. Um, we uh, came together a long time ago when a golf ball and club collector um, became good pals with a gentleman who collected books. Uh, and one was in Dayton area and one was in Philadelphia. Long story short, they communicated mostly by uh, written uh, communication and decided one day that they should become uh, a uh, a society. And they invited a few folks and uh, immediately they were 100. And, um, you know, that was then called the Golf Collector Society. And they grew uh, and grew and grew. And in 19, uh, I'm sorry, 2018, we decided we had so many people from so many walks of golf life uh, including the architects, the supers, the players, uh, not only uh, the collectors, but guess what? Everybody collected in their area of interest. So we decided to call ourselves the Golf Heritage Society. And we are close to a thousand members strong. And we will be coming your way in Lexington in October for our national convention. That is so cool, too, because uh, the, the traditions of golf in this area are phenomenal. Uh, I mean, we have the, in Lexington, Kentucky, the city golf course is a Pete Dye golf course. <laughs> and, and the greens and the greens fees are 29 bucks. Amazing okay. stuff. I know. man. It's one of the few Pete Dye courses you can play for under three figures anywhere. But uh, yeah. you know, the, they've got some great stuff. We've had some, some past champions that live in the area. And um, like Gay Brewer owns a golf course in Lexington. Um, so we, when we have our convention, mm -hmm. um, we'll be playing our um, competitive and fun social event uh, at that golf course. And we are excited uh, because Gay Brewer, as uh, most people know, won a Masters. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of Masters memorabilia um, that attaches itself to Gabe Brewer and uh, his caddy, um, who will be uh, with us and uh, our guest speaker. So we have 
quite a uh, plan for recognizing uh, the uh, Kentucky roots. Another uh, thing uh, that's most interesting, I believe, uh, is the uh, the history uh, of the uh, Lexington Country Club. And, you know, there was a uh, very sad event, uh, a, um, a murder of a young promising player called Marion Miley. She was mm-hmm. uh, just recently minted from uh, amateur champion to professional champion, had tons of, of promise. And as it turns out, uh, she and her mom were at the country club. And, uh, you know, after hours, there were a couple of people that showed up to, and, uh, and a robbery turned into a double murder. And uh, there's a book written called The Murder of Marion Miley. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's um, uh, uh, a, a, now a uh, quite a um, uh, famous book, at least in our circle, because of the golf relationship, the Kentucky and Lexington um, and uh, Beverly Bell, who wrote this, uh, will be among our uh, featured uh, authors there in Lexington, Kentucky, when we hold our convention in October. Because golf memorabilia and collectible items, are, it, it's, it's a wide variety, as you've mentioned. You've got books, you've got clubs, you've got the, the tees and the balls that were used in, in the early times. And when you do your your fun rounds and your competitive rounds, are they hickory shafted rounds, or you know, if someone shows up with you know metal shafts, are you going to castigate them, or what you're going to do with them? Well, John, that's a great point. Uh, the Golf Heritage Society um, really treasures all eras of the game of golf, and yes, we've had uh, a long-standing uh, hickory tradition, and there will be. Uh, a crown champion, Hickory champion, both the um, uh, the gross and the net. Uh, but we also um, st- started to understand that the classic club era uh, should be represented as well. So we will have the persimmon heads, uh, blades, uh, steel shaft division that will, will be honored and recognized uh, as well, formally in competition uh, and uh, the people who are locals that want to see what the heck's going on, they're welcome to come out and play either moderns or uh, jump into a hickory or a classic uh, designed um, uh, uh, scramble game so they can kind of hit a shot and get the hang of it and have fun with us doing that. So uh, the the Golf Heritage Society really prides itself on welcoming uh, all folks who want to play golf and experience all eras of golf. So I, I'd like to uh, to say that that's our that's our tag. When when are you coming into Lexington? When's this going to be? This will be um, October 10 through 14, and we will have a couple of warm up golf sessions. We always get the golf going first, mm-hmm. and then we will have our banquet on uh, the uh, 13th, where we will uh, induct five uh, members of to the Hall of Fame and recognize uh, and give other awards for members who have served uh, served the society well. So we're very excited. And the following day, the Saturday, the 14th, uh, will be our grand um, trade show. The trade show is just fantastic. So we have all these folks who bring all these materials their collections of golf clubs and balls and uh, printed material and books and 
other collectibles and art. And there will be so many opportunities for people to come and improve their collections or learn, learn, and learn all day long from people who have collections and are most willing to share their knowledge base, which, by the way, is probably the greatest asset of the Golf Heritage Society, the knowledge of all these collectibles and history of the game of golf. Yeah. Now, will these collectors have items for sale and trade, or is that a, a, something else? They sale, do? trade, display. Uh, cool. Some of the folks will have items that are not likely to go on sale anytime soon because of their personal uh, attachment and sure. significance. But so many things uh, that are collectibles, anything from uh, pencils and cards to uh, balls and uh, books and so many uh, collectibles around the game of golf. Not too many people uh, think about the art and the ceramics and the jewelry, all these so many things that have been made to honor the game and uh, honor specific events uh, in the game, uh, the trophies and all these uh, medals and awards, they're all collectible, John, and they're all going to be there at our trade show uh, on the 14th of October right there in Lexington. So if someone were interested in in expanding their collection or or uh, exposing themselves to the possibilities of what kind of stuff you can get into collecting golf paraphernalia, you would suggest that they show up just to learn what, what the whole thing's about, wouldn't you? Absolutely. Absolutely. Everyone's welcome. It's free to the public. When people come to our trade show, um, we encourage them to come, look, see, learn, meet uh, people, make new friends, perhaps join the society. We'd love to have them. Um, By the way, when people want to learn more about us, our um, uh, best connection is online. Our website is golfheritage.org. A person can look around, see who we are, what we have. Um, they can join right online um, and uh, then become invited to our uh, grand Zoom calls where we interact with notables in the game of golf and will be invited uh, to all of our local, regional and national uh, gatherings. So, yes, that's a, a, it's a great uh, question. Thank you. And for folks who may not be members currently, is there a cost to, uh, to come to Lexington and, and participate in any of what's going on? So our program is going to be so cool and it is for members. So we would encourage people to join for $50 a year. It is John, the best value in the game of golf. Um, Mm -hmm. Probably next to that Muni, you were talking about the Pete Dye Muni, but in any case um, we uh, really uh, encourage people to come on out and join us and uh, join, join the fun for really a, uh, a nominal fee. Uh, the, as I said, the trade show is open to the public for free. Uh, we want you to use your money to improve your uh, collectibles <laughs> in the game of golf and just meeting friends. I also want to point out from my own personal uh, standpoint, a, a thank you. And they do put their money and their time and their effort where their mouths are because the golf heritage society has helped save a golf course that was one of the first nine-hole golf courses in the country. And when we come right back, we're going to discuss that and another event in Louisville that you're going to be able to meet uh, Dr. Bernanke and the Golf Heritage Society when we come right back. Hang out with us. We are those weekend golf guys.
And thanks for hanging and coming back. We are those weekend golf guys. I am John Ashton in the studio. Jeff Smith still out on the lesson tee at Eagle Springs. I will get this right. I should write this down. Eagle Springs Golf Club in Walcott, Colorado. And he will be with us momentarily. But right now we have a very special guest, Bern Bernanke, who's the uh, the head of the Golf Heritage Society, which he has just explained. will have their annual meeting in Lexington, Kentucky, coming up on uh, October 10th through the 14th. Lots of great stuff there. But they're going to be participating in just a couple of weeks in the uh, African-American Golf Expo here in Louisville. Uh, that's coming up uh, August, what is it, the uh, 16th through the 19th, is it? or uh, uh, 19th to the 22nd, John, I believe. Yeah, the I, Saturday, Sunday, and right. uh, Monday will be the prime time. And also, uh, they're having a, a big thing out at um, Shawnee Golf Course here in Louisville. And it's it's a golf clinic and they are inviting youngsters uh young adults children however you want to put it to come out and expose themselves whether you've played golf before or have never played golf before have no idea how to play golf just show up go out there they've got extensive numbers of golf teachers and golf clubs you can use and it's you, you will leave that day with a brand new sport that uh, you will be very anxious to excel at because it is absolutely engaging, if not addictive. But uh, check that out. But um, we're looking forward to being there with you, Bern. Now, uh, I'm excited for that in particular because I've been asked to bring the assets of the Golf Heritage Society. um, And I translate that to mean some of my collectibles. Um, (laughs) both hickory clubs and classic golf clubs that everyone can relate to in the classic area, but learn some of the ancient history of the golf from when it was over there in Scotland and mm-hmm. uh, really took root over in the United States in the, uh, you know, late uh, 19th century. So I'm excited to share uh, some of the collectibles that uh, I have and invite people to tell their stories of their appreciation of the game of golf too. So it'll be a real exchange uh, back and forth. So I'm very much looking forward to that. It's going to be great. Now you mentioned that, that golf started to proliferate here in the United States in the late 19th century. I believe the year was 1873 when the Crescent Hill golf course here in Louisville was constructed. And it was one of the first municipal nine hole golf courses in the country. Up to that point, most golf courses were very private and very exclusive. And it fell upon hard times. It, it's in an area, as is most areas in, in cities these days, where the the tax revenue from the course was almost prohibitive, uh, the tax the tax burden. And the, the course was destined to close because it was owned by the city. And they figured, hey, we've got nine golf courses here. And we don't need them all. We can close this one. But uh, you guys stepped in because of the history of the course and and helped preserve it. It's not going to close now. And, you know, from the bottom of my heart, I thank you for that. Well, thank you, John. There's a, a wonderful story there. And one of our uh, board members, our regional director from your area, uh, there is James Kaiser. Uh, his uncle Bill played in the Masters and uh, was very active in the uh, golf manufacturing uh, Wilson uh, uh, part of the industry for many, many years and was beloved in uh, the state of Kentucky. 
Kentucky for many years. So right there, the Kaiser name is is uh, notable. Uh, but uh, James Kaiser, our James Kaiser, has been active uh, with a group uh, to uh, support the protection of the Cherokee, one of those nine that you mentioned, mm -hmm. uh, munis there in your uh, hometown. And we're excited that James has had some success, and there may even uh, be a national uh, championship, the National Hickory Championship, as looking at the Cherokee uh, Golf Course for its um, uh, 2024 uh, location. So uh, there's a lot of buzz, a lot of buzz about uh, Louisville and uh, coming to play uh, uh, old Hickory Golf there in yeah. um, June next year. Okay. Well, a word of caution to anyone who may be planning to do that before you come. Practice your side hill lies because that's all you get at Cherokee Golf Course. <laughs> I had the honor and pleasure of playing that uh, when the uh, co-owner of Louisville Golf, Mike Just, um, and uh, his uh, brother uh, ran and operated that uh, organization for many years. And uh, when Michael passed, uh, uh, Elmer passed years before, but when Michael passed, it was a very, very sad day in the uh, world of uh, golf collecting and uh, and hickory golf in particular and the, the nephews elmer's sons uh and james kaiser and i uh played a uh, very memorable uh round of uh old hickory golf in memory of uh elmore and um, uh, michael justin it was one of my most cherished rounds of nine hole golf ever fantastic uh, Side hill lies. Uh, the heck with it. We had a wonderful day together. <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, and and also just just to to point out a little bit more about some of the the heritage that this city lends to the game of golf is is as you mentioned Louisville Golf, which was a a very uh, predominant manufacturing company. That in fact they manufactured the persimmon driver that. Um, my good friend, whose name I for, I forget, won the 1999 um, PGA Championship with, I believe. Well, John, I'm sorry. I wish I could help you out with that one. Yeah, yeah well, it's, it's the, the man who always wore the the colors of the football team, local football team, and passed Payne away. Stewart. I'm sorry, Payne Stewart. Payne Stewart, yes, indeed. Uh, they they manufactured his driver that that uh, he used for so long, and of course, who can forget Power Built? which during the 70s and the 80s was one of the, the main manufacturers, which came from Louisville, Kentucky, because it was owned by the same folks who owned the Louisville Sluggers. Absolutely. So. And that's where your uh, uh, William Bill Kaiser um, came into play because mm -hmm. he was uh, one of the um, club designers and uh, manufacturing uh, artists uh, for many years uh, yeah. there with PowerBuilt. Yeah, it, and and it's you know, and speaking of which, any chance you can get fuzzy to cross the river for your for <laughs> either of your appearances in town? Well, you know, uh, if you can give me a number, I'll make the call. Okay, <laughs> we'll work on that together, man. Uh, that he's, sounds good. He's not all that hard to find. Um, but Fuzzy Zellers, who we're talking about, another Masters champion who lives over in Southern Indiana, uh, just recently sold his two golf courses. Because he's decided he's going to take it easy for a while, so it'll be great to uh, to get out there and see him. He is he is a funny, funny man. I don't know if you've ever had a chance to to see him in person. Back in the eight, 1988, I followed 
uh, Fuzzy Zeller and Ray Floyd. They're playing together in the uh, AT&T or the Bell South Classic in Atlanta. And it was the funniest 18 holes or the funniest four hours I think I've ever spent. It was great. I'll bet. What a hoot that would be. Yeah, they were fantastic. So anyhow, to recap, Byrne and the, the guys and gals from the Golf Heritage Society are going to be in the Kentucky area uh, twice in the next few months. Once in August here in Louisville for the Ameri- African-American Golf Expo. And then again in uh, October for the uh, Golf Heritage Society's very own annual meeting. Now, you take this across the country every year. It's someplace different, don't you? We do. We've rotated for years and years. And uh, I'm told that our very first uh, convention and gathering was in Louisville, Kentucky. So we're glad to be back in Kentucky and celebrate the 53rd uh, gathering. Fantastic. So if you uh, have a mind to start collecting or if you have been collecting or you just want to admire other folks' collections, then uh, you want to be at Saturday the 14th in Lexington on October 14th, isn't it? That is correct. Uh, October okay. uh, thir- uh, October 14 is the trade show. Trade and show, right. there you will meet historians as well as collectors. You'll meet players and people with uh, a number of interests in the game of golf. We're actually uh, uh, calling out our authors and our artists to have their own section uh, and uh, dis- display their, uh, their talents, their amazing talents as well, John. So it'll Fantastic. be great. Uh, cross-section of golf. So where in Lexington is it going to be? We're going to be in the Embassy Suites. Okay. Um, very excited for that. And then here in Louisville for the African-American Golf Expo, it's going to be at the Golf House Hotel in downtown Louisville. Is that where you're in? fun. Yes. So we expect to see you all there. And again, we've mentioned this before, but Louisville, Kentucky is within a five-hour drive of about 60% of the population of the United States. So if you're in Atlanta, you're in Chicago, you're in Pittsburgh or Washington, D.C. or wherever, come on down. It'll be well <laughs> worth your while. OK, so we expect to uh, to see you there. Come on out and enjoy all the things that the Golf Heritage Society has taken upon themselves to save and to uh, well, to celebrate, basically, the, the heritage of this game, which has been around for a very long time. And uh, only gets better and better and better. Burn Bernanke, thank you so much for coming again and uh, being with us here on those weekend golf guys. And we look forward to seeing you coming up in a couple of weeks and then again in October. Thanks, John. Appreciate you having me. Hang out. We'll be right back. Of course, we have a Facebook page, facebook.com slash golf guys. We would love it if you were to go there and like us. Facebook.com slash golf guys. And thanks for hanging and coming back. It is us, those weekend golf guys. I am John Ashton. Finally, the man stops working long enough to sit down and talk to us. Jeff Smith from Eagle Springs Golf Club in Walcott, Colorado. It's about time, man. It is about time. But you know what? I get to talk golf all day long Mm -hmm. with people in person. And then I get to roll here and talk to you and all of our listeners about golf. That's cool. What a great life. Right? And and I don't know if, how much you were able to hear of, of uh, Dr. Bernanke from the Golf Heritage Society, who, who was with us for the first couple of segments here. But, man, the, the collectibles, the collectible aspect of the game, the, the mashies and the niblicks and the featheries and all that kind oh, of yeah. stuff, man. Crazy, isn't it? It's great. 
It was absolutely phenomenal. You know, we all go to these things, right? These expos, one place or another, and there's always somebody there that's got like legitimately old stuff. Mm-hmm. That this, look, this is a show for everybody, but everybody should really kind of get into the golf history thing. Yeah, definitely. Because it's so cool to think that people way long time ago created this game and the stuff they had then to play golf with was way worse than the stuff we got now. That's it. And they still made it happen. Watch, watch those movies. Like, like the movies from, from the early 19th, uh, earlier 20th century, 1900s, uh, like the greatest game. Yeah. About about the, the, was it the U S open in in, um, Brookline, Massachusetts, wasn't it? the yeah, country Frank, club. Francis, yeah, the country club at, at uh, Brookline. Yeah. Um, with Francis, Francis Wilmette. We met. Yes. And and look at the stuff. I mean they they used to they used to make piles of sand as a tee. To yeah. to you know they didn't have wooden tees then in the early 1900s and and they had the hickory clubs and they didn't have the fancy schmancy club heads all designed by you know engineers and stuff of you know from the space program. And, no, uh, they had dudes. They had dudes carving those things out of wood. Right? Yeah, and so they get ourselves and, a big fat tree branch and make a golf club out of it. And they still shot par and under par. You That's know? the whole thing. They got it right. Yeah, and they played with balls that they made and smooshed together and wrapped in leather and all this stuff. You're like, what the? You know, they they make a, a partial leather ball, cram a ton of feathers in there, and then tight sew it up around there. Like, who made these things? Yeah. And then they realized right. that it flew it flew straighter and more true the more holes there were in it or the more nicks there were in it. So they started they started making dimples in it because they thought caddies were doing it. Caddies were pretty smart. They've they've yeah. they have done a lot of stuff for the game here. So yeah, no kidding. Hey, you know what? I've been to a handful of these older places mm-hmm. that have all this wonderful history. Right. So I've been to Oakmont and mm-hmm. I've seen all the history stuff about golf at Oakmont. I've been to Pinehurst right. and I've seen all this golf, all this golf history stuff. And then of course I've been to St. Andrews mm-hmm. a few times. I'm a member of the St. Andrews golf club and they got old stuff in there that just predates everybody else's old stuff. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it's just, it's unbelievable. You see how these people played the game here. They are wearing these wool coats and pants because they're in Scotland. It's freaking cold. That's right. right? <laughs> and, and they're playing in neckties. They're playing. I was going to say, they got ties on and jackets. And I'm like, wait a second. Yeah. They had to have a jacket that was looser fitting than yes. just the regular old jacket, right? I heard somebody say last night that one of the differences between the United States and Great Britain is in the United States, we think 100 years is a long time. And in oh, Great yeah. Britain, they think 100 miles is a long way. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, isn't that true? Yeah. Because with the roads they have, 100 miles is a long way. (laughs) (laughs) Indeed, indeed it is. So I was doing one. Let's go from the sublime to the ridiculous, okay? let's. We've been talking for a while about the history, about the old stuff, about, you know, collecting some of the older uh, paraphernalia and books and even scorecards uh, from from some of the – I mean, the scorecard from St. Andrews is worth money. If you hold on, it to is. It, you know, so anyhow, 
I was reading a thing about lighted golf courses. And yeah. I was intrigued, man, because I would love to play at a lighted golf course. Because one of the things, and unless you're from Chicago, you're very familiar with night baseball games and probably been to a few of them. Well, no, wait a minute. Wrigley has adopted yeah, some okay. lights, right? Okay. Remember that whole campaign, that, you know, the T-shirts that said no lights, baseballs played during the daytime and all that stuff. But yeah, they lost yeah. that deal. So, so what do they do? They, field, right? they play three or four night games a year now. Yeah, that's about it. Yeah. Okay. Well, because you know, I mean, the neighbors can't be all that thrilled about it. But one of the things that is so cool at a night baseball game is when somebody hits a high fly ball, you can follow it so more, so much more easily against a dark sky than you can oh, yeah. in the daytime. Oh yeah. And I would imagine so it would down. be the same way with a golf ball, would it not? Hey, you know, think about it. They even have these glow-in-the-dark balls and glow-in-the-dark <laughs> things you put on flag sticks and all yeah. kinds of stuff, right? Yeah. So they've been doing the, you know, golfers have been doing some night golf stuff, even without playing under the lights. Yeah. Now, so the I, I've played two night golf courses under the lights in my life. Okay. And I loved every minute of it, except for the bugs. <laughs> now, granted, one of these was in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Right. And they had a par three golf course on the south end of Myrtle Beach. I can't remember what it's what it's called, but it's really cool. And it, it was a par three track. And it was I these look, that's when the no seams come out, right? <laughs> and these things were so big you could see them. <laughs> right? but they're carrying you away yeah because that's yeah. when these things come out is you know they they live in the sand and they're called sand gnats right and right. they you know that which ought to be like the name of a baseball team or something in savannah georgia <laughs> or something the sand gnats or whatever the heck that is right but anyhow they they live in the sand and then you play and you you beat it up the ground and here they come yeah. and they're coming at your head and it's unbearable. So uh, you know, also have nighttime nighttime denizens in South Carolina called palmetto bugs, which for oh, the yeah, rest of the country are flying cockroaches, big <laughs> enough to saddle. Okay, that's right. They are. <laughs> <laughs> so, but anyway, we got these, you know, so these cool ideas of playing golf at night. So if if we own one of those things, I am going to. Own the bug spray concession. <laughs> and I will win the lottery that way. That's a lot like that. That concession has to be um, as lucrative as the hearing aid and golf cart battery concession at the villages in Florida. <laughs> <laughs> now, let me just give you a little a little technique man and, and it'll be free you don't have to give me any royalties or anything but what i do instead of just you know selling cans of bug spray is i'd yeah. have i'd have attractive young ladies at every tea and for a couple of bucks they'll spray you down eh? it's a good idea yes yeah. indeed thank you yeah. Run with that go ahead I, but I, I have noticed as you said it was a nine hole track you were at most of these are nine holes and i guess that would be uh basically a cost effective thing because it's going to cost a lot of money to get lights up all over a golf course. 
Yeah. Could you imagine like a real live, legitimate 18 hole golf course and the expense of that if you're the owner? Yeah. No, just I the can't. light bill alone. Yeah. And right? I don't, I don't so, think you get as many rounds to it, at night to, to justify the cost of doing that. I wouldn't think. Yeah. That's, that's exactly what I think is I look at that and I think, okay, what just happened to labor? Right, mm-hmm. labor costs just went sky high. Yeah, because you, if you use the, if you use the same people you got for your regular golf, and go add like say two to three hours each day that you do it, these people are into overtime by Thursday. Yeah, right. Yeah, and then you look at that and you're like, okay, well maybe not. And then your food and beverage operation stays open later, and you go, oh well, that might make me more money, but it also has an associated cost of labor and food and all that stuff. So you got to mm-hmm. figure all that out. Yeah. And then how about the installation of lights? Yeah, I mean that's that, that that's just ridiculous. And, and and then the complaints by the neighbors. Yeah. And the running <laughs> of the wires for oh, the yeah. lights. Yeah. I but mean, it's such a cool idea that somebody'll figure this out. Yeah. Like all of a sudden, what would it be? Right now, it would be solar powered LEDs. Mm-hmm. That's what it would be. Yeah. Right? Get some poles, solar-powered LEDs, soak up all the sun in the daytime, boom, they turn on, and they're bright as can be, just like those ones you have on the side of your deck yeah. and all that stuff. They'll just be bigger versions of that. Yeah. Right? Yeah, the ones that come so, on every time know, a stray could, dog runs, run, wanders into yeah, your so, backyard. Yeah, that could save some of your costs of building it, some of your costs of operating it, some of those things, right? It could. All right, again, from the sublime to the ridiculous, from the old stuff to the future, we're going to talk about where golf is going here when we come right back. We are those weekend golf guys. And thanks for hanging and coming back. We are those weekend golf guys. I am John Ashton. He is Jeff Smith. Golf Magazine Top 100 teacher, Jeff Smith, if I may say so. Again, can we tell him? Still? Go ahead. Year number two. <laughs> He's moving up the list, people. <laughs> Second go around. It's very nice. Yeah. I, I, cool. uh, I have been honored yet again by Golf Magazine that uh, that I have been yet again uh, announced as a top 100 teacher in the country uh, by them. And it's an amazing feeling for them to recognize what you do as being at that level, it, it's an honor to be in their magazine. It's an honor to, to supply uh, some golf information, some good stuff to people. And, um, you know, I can't thank them enough for, for such an honor uh, two times in my life. One of the things I know, we don't talk about the pros much at all, but I want to bring something up because I, I noticed it. Um, and it's because it's, it's a, a friend of the show's. Justin Thomas. Yes. Louisville boy. Yes. Who missed by minuscule numbers of points continuing in the FedEx playoffs because he has finished at number 71 uh, after the Wyndham classic. But did you notice on hole number 18, he he hit his drive into the pine straw. He hit a miraculous shot out of the pine straw that probably did about a 110 degree curve. Yeah, right. But came up short of the green. And then he did a firm wristed scrape. <laughs> did you notice yes, that? I saw that, right? Yes. He did it. 
He did the firm roosted scrape, which is a shot with a wedge or, or short game shot that Jeff has taught and will teach and has mentioned on the show and even did a thing in golf magazine about it a couple months ago. I did. And he so hit the stick. He did. So here's what I have to say about what I wish he would have done. Okay. I wish at that moment he would have channeled his inner Phil Mickelson and had Bones pull the flagstick. <laughs> yes. Right? Because that stinking fat flagstick kept that shot out of the hole. And wouldn't that have been the most miraculous birdie to mm-hmm. get him into the playoffs? Wouldn't mm-hmm. that be in some of the annals of golf history? That would be more than a mere footnote of cool stuff at the right time. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Think about that. And you're like, man, <laughs> that thing stayed out by the hair of his chinny chin chin. Mm-hmm. It's the center. It's the center of the flagstick, firm enough. And that thing looked like it was down in the hole almost. Yeah, like it, it's not what maybe three, four inches off. That was it. Yeah, you know, it was sad to watch if you were a fan. But right, but you know, hey, here's the truth. Here's a guy who's probably still going to make the Ryder Cup team. Yeah, here's a guy who's still got so much game, but he just kind of went through a little bit of a slump, you know, where things didn't go his way. And he's up against so much stiff competition that he just missed out on the, on the playoffs, but you know, that'll just motivate him for the future. And, and you look at the list of the 70 guys who, who have made it. And there are so many unfamiliar names on that list. Yeah. Right. I mean, there's, Hey, look, as we as we all know, these guys are good. Yeah, right. They are, and then they love to say that. But you, you look at these things and you're like, "Dang, man, can you believe this whole thing?" You know, and wow. there's a thing that we've heard about that, um, and we've got to get uh, your your buddy uh, from IU, the sports psychologist, back on sometime oh, soon. Gary. Yeah, Doctor Gary. Dr. Gary Sales, because he mentioned uh, one of the times a couple of years ago when he was on the show about how even the pros are afraid of, quote unquote, losing it. Oh, yeah, they are. Of showing up someday and just not being able to do what they should be able to do. And, And we amateurs go through that a lot. I mean, we can have a glorious round on Tuesday and then come back on Thursday and shoot 103. You know, if you paid attention, and we don't do this on the show, we don't pay attention to tour pros. No. Right? But if you read some of the stuff that comes out where somebody's interviewing one pro here or there at any given time and you hear them talk somewhere, you get this distinct vibe that most of these guys are walking on eggshells all the time. Yeah. Some Somewhere between... They're one swing away from feeling like their career is over and one other swing away of going, why am I not in the last group on Sunday at Augusta? Yeah. You know, and, and that's the thing you see that and you think, my God, even the best players in the world basically are saying to us that their confidence is fragile. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you see it and you watch some of the players as they are on the golf course. When the wheels start to come off a little bit, 
you look at how they behave, and if it happens two, three weeks in a row, oh my god! Yeah, they'll take some time off and and re realign their thinking. They do. They need yeah. to, right? They don't. They don't do things like play four weeks in a row. They don't do that. Mm-hmm. They've understood how to keep themselves at a peak level, and and some of the juniors that I work with. They're always into, oh, my God, I got to play in this one. I got to play in this one. I got to play in this one. I'm like, wait a second. Time out. TV time out. Whoa. Hey, how about getting a little sleep? How about mm. working on some practice? How about not beating yourself up with weekly pressure every week, this week, that week, the other week, the next week? Because sooner or later, you start to make these little slip ups here or there, and you don't get to hone it in. Right. So, you know, everybody's got to mind themselves and learn how they can making sure that they don't have a slide because like at the PGA tour level, and even in this difficult junior golf competitive level, there's so many other competitors out there that are pretty stinking good. That as soon as you start slipping, the other ones who are playing well, start sticking their fangs in you. Yeah. Right. And next thing you know, you're on the wrong, you're on the, you're on the fast train to, I don't know where, but it isn't good. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's human nature when you start to screw up, especially if you're watching someone. And, and this happens to, to all of us amateurs out there. If you're having a oh, bad day and the guy you're playing with is having a great day, you oh, start yeah. to feel really bad about yourself. Well, and then all of a sudden you're in search mode. Like, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. Why is he doing this? Well, humans do this, right? They, they get into search mode so quickly you know, oh my God, what happened? I see it in golf lessons. Guy's sitting up there. I help him out. Next thing you know, he's out there pumping it, just looking like a machine. All of a sudden, one of them goes off and it goes wrong. And he whips his head around, looks at me, and goes, "What happened?" Like, wait a minute. Yeah. I, and I always say, "You're human." And they look at me like that's not an answer I want to listen to. <laughs> so just go reset yourself. And go do it again with this specific, simple intent. And then all of a sudden it gets right back on track. But that's the human mind, right? Everybody thinks that they should always be on top of everything in terms of their ball striking or their putting or whatever. Right. And they always like, like, what happened? And they reach back somewhere between the two back pockets of their jeans, somewhere dead in the middle of that, reach back and pull out some excuse of why (laughs) something happened. Yeah, I, yeah. I did this. I picked up. I looked I up. Did, I did this. Oh, yeah. It falls under that family so often. Yeah. 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 You no, know, like, wait a minute. That family of nonsense of I have to stay down on it, keep your head down, all that other whatever stuff, right? I just talked to a guy who had been playing with a set of clubs his wife bought him for Christmas a couple of years ago with no, I mean, she just went in and said, oh, those look good. I want them. And then he bought himself another set of clubs just a couple of weeks ago. And he found out that the clubs he just bought were much longer than the ones his wife bought for him. Because when he was playing with the clubs he had, he was hunched over. Now he's standing up much more straight. His posture is, is better. It's much more comfortable. And he's hitting the ball straight and striking it much better. Huh. And it's like, okay, that's the reason why you should go and get fitted for clubs because he almost threw the game away. But he, his thing was, he said, man, it's fun now to play golf. Yeah, isn't it amazing what happens to people 
the human mind gets, you know, all of a sudden something good happens and all of a sudden we light up like a light bulb. Yeah. We're like, yeah, <laughs> I got this now. That's the Eureka it. moments, right? I can do this exactly. Oh yeah, I got this. Exactly. So another reason why you should use the right clubs and jeffsmithgolfinstruction.com, another reason why you can learn nifty stuff like the the firm wristed scrape and, and, and a lot of other shots that can get you to hit the pin or if the pin's not there, get you in the hole from off the green, just like Justin Thomas should have done, okay? Yeah. So keep that in mind, jeffsmithgolfinstruction.com. Listen to him here, ask a question, and we'll answer it here. And you can help the whole world play better golf the next time we all go out and play some golf. <laughs>